The wars in Ukraine and Gaza, as well as the death of Alexei Navalny, were top of mind for politicians, diplomats and defence industry representatives as they concluded the three-day Munich Security Conference. The BBC security com- uh, correspondent, Frank Gardner, is in Munich and joins us now. Good morning, Frank. Uh, thank you very Good much. Morning. Thanks for joining us this morning. This uh, Let's start perhaps with the most critical issues around uh, Ukraine, its ability to get ammunitions and arms from the US, which is being stymied by the US Congress and the fact they're losing ground in the war. Was that a key key element of this conference? Very much so, yes. I mean, on the day that the conference began, which was Friday, really the kind of uh, the overshadowing factor was the fear that a future Trump presidency, a second Trump White House, would pull support for Europe, European allies in NATO. But that was fairly quickly eclipsed, um, first of all, by the death of Alexei Navalny, once news of that broke, and then by the speech made by, the very impassioned speech made by President Zelensky. I mean, he swept past me with his entourage walking on foot with heavy security. He was about literally just six feet away from me, but the helicopter overhead, just serried ranks of German police all in black with uh, heavily armed um, the Germans were pretty nervous, I think, um, because he gave his speech just really straight after the, the uh, announcement of the death of Alexei Navalny, the leading Russian dissident. Um, and clearly the war in Ukraine is not going well for Ukraine. I mean, the bit that is going well is its long-range strikes in the Black Sea, that it's able to keep the Russian Navy at bay. It's it pretty much driven them out of the northwest of Black Sea, and it's able to strike at their ports and harbors and some of their ships. But what's going badly is the the land battle, because it's a battle of artillery, and Ukraine simply doesn't have enough ammunition to fend off the enormous amount of long-range artillery that the Russians are able to deploy, and wave after wave of mobilized troops that they just send suicidally, First World War-style um, against the Ukrainian line. So the Ukrainians have had to, they've had to give up uh, a town called Avdivka in the eastern Donbass. Now, you and I probably wouldn't have heard of this place a few months ago. The reason why it matters is not so much that it's a strategic location, but the fact that Ukraine sent, it's spent so much blood and treasure on trying to hold on to it, and it's failed. And it's given Putin the victory there that he needed just ahead of his election. The death of Alexei Navalny, uh, which has caused, obviously sparked a lot of outrage uh, around the world, I mean, in a sort of tragic way, well, could that actually help with those Republicans who are filibustering and preventing this aid getting through to Ukraine, perhaps hone some minds here about what they're dealing with? I'm not sure that it will, because they're pretty entrenched. Um I was able to speak to, there's been quite a big U.S. presence here, led by Vice President Kamala Harris, quite a lot of congressmen and women, um, mostly Democrats, but uh, also a Republican, um, Senator J.D. Vance. And he was asked, um, is this just electioneering? Is this just, you know, um, would-be President Donald Trump just saying things for the sake of it? And he said, no, the reason that we are holding up this so-called supplementary security bill is because we don't think it's in the best interests of America. And the Navalny death, as some would consider murder, is certainly a reminder to those people who don't need any convincing that Putin is a threat to the, to the world order. 
Um, but I think there's some pretty kind of entrenched views up on Capitol Hill that are going to be hard to shift. Now, certainly the Americans, including President Biden, have said, we will get this bill passed. It is going to happen. But the question is when, because every week that that aid doesn't get to the Ukrainians, more of them die, more of, more ground is given up, and they're on the back foot. You know, things are going much worse there than they were a year ago. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it, when you compare with Gaza and the situation which the U.S. has continued support in terms of arms to Israel uh, is critical in their ability to keep keep on with their uh, offensive in Gaza. Yes, and that's come in for a lot of criticism here uh, from some delegates, not from everybody. Um, but I listened, uh, for example, to the the Palestinian Prime Minister, Mohammed Shtaya, uh, who was giving an interview right next to me, and he was uh, absolutely, he was very fluent and in listing all the things that, why, why Israel is making a mistake with what it's doing. Um, and a number of world leaders who would consider themselves to be sympathetic to Israel have called on Israel not to attack the Rafah, um, the, the, the part of southern Gaza called Rafah, where roughly one and a half half million Palestinians are crammed into it. It's where Israel told them to seek refuge. And now Benjamin Netanyahu wants to carry out an assault there, which the Americans have said, please don't, well, you mustn't do that unless you've got a firm plan for the safety of the civilians. But as the Palestinian prime minister pointed out, he said, Netanyahu is not listening to anybody. And his words were, he said, he's not listening to his big boss, President Biden. So, um, that has certainly focused minds here, um, and certainly one EU figure uh, was pretty angry that um, that nothing really has been achieved. There's, there's no plan really to rescue uh, the plight of Palestinians in Gaza. The talks in Cairo between Qatar, Israel, Egypt, the US don't seem to have made much progress in reaching any kind of a sustainable ceasefire. Mm. Just finally, Frank, the sort of existential question that you you sort of alluded to at the start there around Donald Trump, a a future Trump presidency withdrawing from NATO uh, and the impact that would have on Europe. Now, now how is that being dealt with? Is there a sense that Europe is going to have to step up, pay more for its defence? Is it preparing itself for that? Um, The reason element of that, it's given certainly a bit of a shock to a lot of people. I mean, the the problem is, is that Russia has put its economy on a war footing. It is devoting somewhere between 30 to 40 percent of government budget of national expenditure to defense. And um, it's spending seven and a half percent of its GDP on defense. NATO can't even get all the countries to spend two percent on defense. And so it's so far behind. Now, countries that are closer to Russia, countries like the Baltic states, states, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, and Poland, they need no convincing. They are ramping up their production. They're expanding their armies. They are really digging in because they worry that when President Putin is finished with Ukraine, he's going to come for them. And that is something that was talked about quite a bit here. Um, Europe doesn't have the capacity industrially or the simply it, it just simply hasn't got the capability to match the United States when it comes to defense power. Frank Garner, thanks very much. Really appreciate it. As always, the BBC security correspondent 